0: Welcome to Proven Improbable, where we deliver mining insights and bullion sales in the form of physical delivery, offshore depositories, and private blockchain distributed ledger technology. Welcome to Proven Improbable, where we deliver mining insights in bullion sales in the form of physical delivery, offshore depositories, and private blockchain distributed ledger technology. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson. Joining us for a conversation is David Morgan, the founder of The Morgan Report, and now Energy Stock Profits. Mr. Morgan, welcome to the show.
1: Maurice, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's always good to be with you.
0: Glad to have you back on the program, sir. We have a number of topics to address. And for our audience, today's interview theme will be energy and specifically how you may profit. We brought Mr. Morgan on specifically because he's a big picture thinker and he's very passionate about educating people and has a proven pedigree for generating great profits for his clients, which include individual investors, hedge funds and money managers in the resource sector. David, we referenced that you're the founder of the Morgan Report in the introduction. For those that aren't familiar with the Morgan Report, please tell us about it.
1: Well, the Morgan Report is something I founded on the internet about 20 years ago. And we look at all resources, not just the precious metals. We're the first actually on the rare earth elements. We're one of the first on cobalt. Um, we've had the lithium story down pretty early. So we've profited throughout the sector. And we have uh, certainly made a lot of people happy. If you look at the way I divide a portfolio, top tier, mid tier, and speculative situations, on the speculations, you bet a little with a lot. And on the top tier, you can basically put in big money. That's why we have a lot of uh, you know, high net worth, accredited investors, that type of individual money managers and hedge funds that subscribe to our work because uh, they can buy some of these companies that are you know billion dollar type companies Without moving these, you know, the stock around. Whereas for uh, generally the gold writers, the gold I- newsletter writer industry is geared pretty much toward highly speculative microcap companies. Yes, we look at them, but that's not what we specialize in, although we have certainly had our fair share. In fact, to brag a little bit, but I if guess it's, if it's a fact, it's not bragging. We have actually picked more companies that were junior explorers that became mines than anybody else in the industry. So we look at everything top tier, mid tier and speculative and we certainly are happy with our track record especially in the top tier we still have companies that are up you know 500 600 700 800 percent uh from the time that we got into them so um you know big money big companies little money little companies and uh, and uh <laughs> it's a fun industry lots of potential the upside and of course it's a high risk high reward kind of an industry
0: well, you have a proven pedigree of success, and recently you started a new venture called Energy Stock Profits, which perfectly coincides with today's discussion on energy. Please introduce us to Energy Stock Profits.
1: Well, I was, uh, I'm was i affiliated with a company called Gold and Silver for Life. If you want to learn more about it, just go to Google or any search engine and put type in ca- how to cash flow gold or cash flow gold or cash flow silver, and you'll get a free webinar invitation. And I really studied his methodology before I decided to become an affiliate, and it works just well, very well. It's basically a way to use uh, synthetics, which is basically your ETFs, and cash flow, your gold and silver holdings. So once I made that association, we got more involved, and I was uh, in a situation where I have to go to London like two or three times a year, which is fine. Uh I uh, provide you know, update information for the investment community that's a part of the Golden Silver for Life community. Well, on one of the trips over there, they, the uh, founders of the Golden Silver for Life asked me about energy and why I was so passionate about it because I've talked about it and time and time again. And they kind of persuaded me to think about doing an energy letter because a lot of what we do in the Morgan Report kind of pushes toward the energy sector what i mean by that is although we've only done i think one or two gas excuse me oil companies and uh, a coal company in the morgan report mostly i leave the oil sector to other people but i'm certainly capable of doing it and there again i'm repeating myself there's kind of a spillover between like the energy metals you look at copper and vanadium and cobalt and lithium and all these battery metals and then you look at uh some of the base metals like copper that we use in electric vehicles. So there was a kind of a natural synergy that went with what the research that we'd already been doing for years in the Morgan report. So I swallowed hard, uh, asked my uh, my equity analyst if he was willing to take on more work, and he said yes. So we started the energy stock profits. It's similar to the gold and silver for life, meaning that there's an option component involved. So. The average yield, although it can't be guaranteed, but averages between seventeen and twenty percent a year on your holdings. So you're hitting, uh, you know, a good portfolio of top quality, again, usually top tier companies that uh, you know are multi-billion dollar companies. For the most part, we have speculations in there as well, and you are getting you know, yields, or excuse me, dividends or yields on these companies, and you're also getting uh, the optionality of them, and basically selling puts and buying, excuse be selling calls and um, selling puts it at the certain times, and you're given guidance on this. Like every step of the way, you're given guidance on this. So you generate about 20%, perhaps, on your portfolio, plus the gains you're getting in the stock portfolio itself. So it's pretty robust, and it's uh, geared for, I'd say, sophisticated investors that have a fairly decent net worth that really want to have a, kind of a steady eddy kind of a kind of a Warren Buffett approach. I don't want to say it's like Buffett from the aspect that um, they're buy and hold, although a lot of them would be buy and hold. I want to just say that it's, you know, Buffett got from when I was a kid, I mean, I was like about 23. Berkshire Hathaway stock was, I think, 2,500 a share. And now it's, what, 350,000 a share. And that's what happens at 20% compounded, 20% compounded. So, think of buffetts you know doubles and doubles and doubles no 20 percent is hard to get year after year after year and that's basically what the averages. same type of situation here maybe more like 30 i mean i can't make these um you know these numbers uh without getting in trouble but i could say it could be could be uh possible so
0: well what a unique value proposition that energy stock profits offers to uh, individual investors and funds but you know what's really interesting that you mentioned here as well that a lot of individuals that are in the natural resource space they're purely speculators which is just buy low sell high and they never factor in or realize that there's an opportunity for cash flow which really makes you an investor throughout your career you've successfully demonstrated the unique ability to combine the macro with the micro in your investment thesis for your clients so i want to get a glimpse of some of the opportunities that you see now and going forward from a macro perspective what do you see in energy that has you excited
1: well one of the things we just wrote in the energy stock profits update that i just got off of my call to london to update them today in fact was that uh, it is a huge industry. Nothing happens without energy, and there's going to be something in the you know trillion dollars of, of uh, investment going into that sector. So certainly if you want to participate in that arena, you should consider whether or not you join the Energy Stock Profits uh, service or not, that's immaterial. What is material is that it's a huge benefit. And from the micro aspect, I mean, if you look at something like cobalt, <clears throat> A lot of these smaller, I call them uh, mineral de jure, the, the mineral of the day. Uh, you look at, you know, the look at a chart of, of many of these smaller, like, unknowns, like vanadium or whatever. And cobalt, for an example, I mean, we have a situation in cobalt that is very unique, and it's in the Energy Stock Profits newsletter, and it's up 13% from the time we recommended it. We recommended it on the 21st of January this year. So, you know, 13% gain in that short of time is pretty cool. What's interesting, about about that, as a hedge fund manager, we <laughs> work, and he went in and bought it and lifted the stock. So I'll be honest about it. <clears throat> That's why it's up that much. But it's a buy and hold. It's a long term. It is in a speculative section because of the market cap. But need a situation that I don't think anyone else in the industry even knows about. So these are the type of opportunities we look for. We like to get into the equity side on the resource sector. Although I just said that we do do the ETFs and we do. Uh, so we are kind of broad based. and I don't want to contradict myself. What I'm saying for investment purposes, we like the equity side. As far as the making money on an optionality situation where you can profit month to month to month, that's using the ETF. So hopefully I'm clear on that. We combine both. So I, I hope I'm being clear.
0: Oh, you certainly are. Can the supply curve meet and or exceed the demand curve?
1: Well, supply and demand always equal. I mean, whether or not, you know, we're undersupplied or oversupplied, I mean, you can make the argument either way. But if you look at silver going back into, you know, 1990 to 2006, we six, we're in a supply deficit. and But supply meets demand every year. So how did that happen? Well, if you look at the chart of above-ground supply or stockpiles of silver in 2000, it should be in 1990, there were about 2 billion ounces of silver above ground. And if you look at uh, the supply above ground in 2006, it was 500,000. And so 1.5 billion ounces of silver were basically taken out of the above ground stockpile so that the supply could meet the demand. And since that time on silver, the stockpile above ground has grown back to about 2.5 billion ounces. So, you know, we have, are not in a structural deficit in silver anymore. We could be, or many claim that we're in an investment deficit. And I would, I'm not going to argue that we aren't. What I think is more fundamental for people to understand more easily is whether or not the stockpile of copper or nickel or palladium as a good example is growing or dwindling. I mean, palladium has certainly been uh, off the chart, so to speak, here lately because of it being such a small market and such a high demand.
0: You know, one very important factor germane to this discussion is and that's often overlooked, in my opinion, is geopolitics. How does that fit into the energy thesis?
1: Oh, quite heavily, as you well know. I mean, and it's not my forte, so I'm just going to kind of broad brush it. But I mean, there's always volatility in the Middle East, which is kind of supplier of last resort, although now the United States is not as dependent because of, you know, the fracking boom that's taken place the last several years. So purportedly, the United States is a net energy exporter. And we're not as reliant on, you know, some external source outside of the United States to keep our energy uh, demand, excuse me, our energy supply, <clears throat> we have it basically internal. But no, it's a very important, the most important uh, aspect to living is energy. And, and so not only in the Middle East, you've got, you know, different areas in, uh, of the world that are also volatile due to energy uh, needs independence and control mechanism i mean a lot of uh, the as you say you can look at the pipeline through europe or you look at what's going on in some of these uh, skirmishes slash wars that take place that are you know outlined in the mainstream press for uh, you know political reasons or whatever when the if you really dig down you don't have to dig too far it's really about again it's either a pipeline or an energy supply or, somebody wants that uh that section of land to be able to uh supply energy or take energy get energy or whatever i mean even venezuela is as messed up as that country is and i feel for the people very much i mean they do have a great supply of oil it's really crappy oil it's one of the worst grades out there but nonetheless it's still oil and so is it all about um you know, making it a democratic society again? Or is it about energy? Well, it's at least partly about energy. So
0: I'd have to agree with you on that one. Let's discuss some metals that have your attention at the moment. And beginning with base metals, uh, let's discuss the metals that uh, you foresee dominating the energy sector going forward.
1: Well, that's a tough one. I mean, we always are studying. I never claim to know it all. I, I like to jokingly say I, I'm a learn it all, which no one can. But you know, vanadium is kind of an unknown uh, energy metal. It's certainly known to be uh, to harden steel. And that's its primary purpose, but it could be used. Or it is being used somewhat for uh, an energy storage uh, metal. And then you've got cobalt, the same thing. Lithium is well-known. Lithium, uh, the story really isn't well-known. I mean, most people and a lot of these companies are pushing the lithium story like it's uh, not that it isn't important and not that it's being used. Obviously, Tesla's brought lithium to everybody's attention, and most people know they've got a lithium battery in their cell phone. So, I don't want to downplay it too much, but I want to point out is there's probably 400 years with the lithium on the planet right now. So, if you think there's a lithium shortage, think again, you're not being given the facts. I like... Um, I still like the PGMs. Uh, I mean, platinum and palladium are 15 times rarer than gold. I think right now that the palladium story is kind of overdone. I think that platinum is probably the place to look. I just did a trade for the Morgan Report uh, paid subscribers that I showed them uh, what I'm doing personally. Uh, With that situation, I think the trend has changed, but time will tell, and uh, the market knows more than anyone so far so good uh, with that spread that I put on uh, not too long ago. I would say there will be improvements always. There's always, you know, everything's technology, 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 but there are technologies that do improve not only our way of life, but the methodology of how to extract minerals, uh, how to refine them, uh, many, many cases. So there's always room for man's ingenuity to come along and do something a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, which means normally the price will come down for the general populace depending on what the product is and the efficiency goes up which makes it better you know better society long term of course that's i have to digress slightly here it's not always the case because sometimes there's what's called you know built-in obsolescence you know this is where you know it's built into the in the product that it's going to fail after so long because without that uh, you're not going to get another sale but anyway i digress to come back later give it back to you Maurice.
0: Well, David, let me ask you about a metal that I like that we've talked about in the past. How
1: about uranium? Uranium, I think, is in a big boom. This 232 laws taking place. Whether or not you know what Trump does with it remains to be determined. But if we go to a domestic uh, uranium situation, then it could put a two-tier price on the uranium sector, meaning there'll be a domestic price for uranium and a world price for uranium. We have one in the Morgan report that we like very, very much. It's doing quite well for our. Members and it also has one of the most robust and accessible and uh, let's say already in the work the Vanadium project. So not only is it uh, probably the best uranium company domestically that we know of, it's profitable. Management's fantastic, but they also have this Vanadium project that's that's right there along with it. So it's doing well. I'm bullish on it. Uh, On that company, I'm bullish on uranium. Generally speaking, in this 232 law, you can look it up and read more about it on Google. But it's something that could boost the uranium price. I don't know if that is well-known enough to be built into the price of these shares right now or not. I actually think probably not. Most of the time, these type of legislations that are pending are already built into the share price. But uranium is such a small market and one so misunderstood that I don't think it is. So I think if this thing is enacted and we get this two-tier price structure where we get a boost in price for U.S. producers, you will see an immediate move up into the uh, uranium price. I'll also look at someone like Cameco to probably open up, depending on how it goes. But if it stays higher in, in a U.S. price, I would see Cameco probably come in and open up some of the projects they have in the state. So lots to uh, think about in the uranium sector.
0: And if I may, can we go back to lithium for a moment here? Because a lot of the energy demand that I foresee and the research that I've done is from electric vehicles, EVs and batteries, and they compose lithium batteries. But I think a lot of people get the narrative wrong on lithium batteries, and that is how much lithium, if you would share with the audience, uh, is in a lithium battery, because actually most of it is not lithium
1: yeah i don't know you probably i don't know the number but you're right so you might be able to outline now but i think the point being that the reason that we're looking at vanadium and cobalt and you know even copper and some of these other alternatives is uh energy efficiency somewhat uh, on the safety i mean there has been some fires with lithium and i'm not trying to make a big deal out of that it's just an occasional occurrence but we do really Again, we're always we meaning you know the human being, the human race is always looking for efficiencies. How you know, like a solar panel, for example, solar comes out. You take the sun's energy, it hits this panel, it excites electrons. Electrons come out, and they are filtered down through some wires, and wires you know are used to generate electricity through you know know, the mechanism, the inverter. You go from uh, direct current into uh, alternating current, and, and you can power your your house or your Your electric fence, or whatever it be. So, just using that and moving on, you can see that the efficiency of a solar panel is about doubled or quadrupled since the initial panel. The panels look basically the same, but the improvements, 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 improvements have been made. Same thing here. Is lithium the best source to power an electric vehicle? And I would say the answer remains to be determined now. The Tesla folks may not want me to say that, <laughs> but I will because we don't know. So it's a situation where, uh, you know, I don't think lithium's going away. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that, again, looking at the solar panel analogy, in fact, let me just move on, come back to solar for a moment. Uh, there is a company that we've investigated. We do not, um, we're not recommending it. We've just mentioned the Morgan Report and briefly in passing, but there's a company that uses uh, aluminum as a mechanism to uh, gather uh, solar energy. It's not as efficient as silver, obviously, but aluminum is fairly reflective. I mean, anyone that knows what aluminum foil looks like, you can get, you know, you can use it as a mirror. It's not as good, again, as silver, but it does reflect. So anyway, back to your question, I would stay open-minded about the, what I'll call battery wars or energy metals going forward. It could be a hybrid. It could be something that we haven't even thought of yet that's in a lab right now being tested and has the highest efficiency and longer range and faster charging and all these things that you know we really want. So there will be improvements made. And
0: you know, I reference that point because I'm not anti-lithium by no means I think there's some great lithium companies out there that you could really benefit from having in your portfolio. The point being is as you're referencing here is being open-minded and looking for new opportunities. And that's what Energy Profits is all about. Uh, switching gears, let's discuss how someone listening may profit. David, what would you like to share with the person listening to today's interview that now sees the potential, apply this buckshot approach to mining companies uh, with today's said metals in their nomenclatures? What would you say to
1: them? Well, first of all, I'm free to market. You know, I mean, most of your, again, uh, the gold letter industries. Very much focused on ad copy. I mean, these are the FOMO writers, the fear of missing out. They write an ad ad copy that talks about some secret mine and some secret location with some secret CEO that's got the best frickin' this, that, and the other thing. And the (laughs) ad copy is so strong and so well-written that I want to buy the mine, and I already know what it is. (laughs) It's It's worthless. But it's so well done the psychology of it is, oh, my God, I must buy this newsletter because if I don't, I'm not going to know what the stock is. And if I don't know the stock, and I'm, I'm never going to make this fortune. And, you know, I've looked at these things time and time and time again, and almost all of them are mediocre at best. You know, I have I, to I digress again, Maurice, but this is something I've said. I've said in uh, panel discussions at the investment conferences. I've said it uh, from the lectern, behind the lectern at investment conference conferences and I've said it in uh, interviews like this but you know if you go to a let's say what I'll call a gold show and there are let's say um, oh let's just make up a number let's say there's a 700 vendors there now out of 700 there's an average but none of those companies will come up to me and pitch me and say hey I've got an average company in an average location with average management with an average prospect (laughs) of hitting a, a gold prospect right Right. But we all know common sense will tell us that's the case. But you'll hear from every one of those that it's the best place and the best location with the best prospects, blah, 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 blah. I mean, there's some that are honest. I'm I'm exaggerating slightly to make my, my point. But the point is that you don't really get what the truth is. You know, most of them are just average or below average situations that you know, you'd know you be better off. So what I am saying long and winded about is I hate long lists. I don't like the shotgun approach. I don't like buying 30, 40, 50 companies and putting a 1,000 bucks in there and having to attract them. I like to focus. Now, focus doesn't mean you buy one company. Focus means you, like in our top tier, I think we have something like seven or eight. Uh, we rate them. So you're really in the top tier, you should probably have three, Pick the three top tier that are the highest rated. And then in the mid-tier, same thing. We've probably got, oh, I'm not sure, nine maybe. Pick the top three again. And then a speculative category. I've never had more than 10. And a lot of these people have you know, 30, 40, 50 stocks. I mean, it gets to be, in my view, rather ridiculous. And again, there you don't want to bet. And that's the problem with the speculation. You, know, you read one of these ad copies, and if you don't own the stock, and people don't really know that this is a part of the business that I don't like. I mean, this is written for people to make a lot of money in the newsletter business. I try to steer away from it. Although I do have one that I really, really like. And when I write it, it does sound a bit hypey, but it is, it is what it is. I mean, again, if you're speaking fact, it's not exaggeration. Anyway, I come back. So you bet a little to win a lot in the situations. Some people will get, uh, that are unsophisticated. They'll bet too much on these small companies. And that's a really big mistake. What you can do, and what we have done, is in our speculative section where I tell people to bet what you could afford to lose, bet a little to win a lot and spread out. So, again, you can get in our speculative section and buy three or four. No matter who's telling the story or how much you trust them, you've got to spread out in that sector. And then if the company starts to become a new company, meaning that, well, for example, I use, use this example over and over, but Western Copper which became Western Silver, which was bought by Glamis and that was bought by Gold Corp. Well, as that company moved up, and I'm one of the few that teach this, as the stock price went from pennies into dollars, we bought more. Why? Because the discovery had been made. And even though the company had like, quadrupled in price, it was still very undervalued. So you're, you're an investor or a speculator, and you're buying something that you know pretty much you're going to make more money on. So I do teach that. If the comp- if and only if the company has changed and becomes a, let's say, a producing company, then you can add, but just because uh, the story is great and every month the uh, newsletter writer tells you more details about the story, this and the story, that. These are story stocks. People go to, uh, to their graves telling their, uh, well, they either brag about the company when they first buy it because they believe uh, the story or they will uh, realize the story is nothing more than that and they will just uh, keep their mouth shut because they're rather embarrassed. Uh, (laughs) There's nothing wrong with speculation, and there's nothing wrong with going out and discovering stuff. I mean, we have to do that. Someone has to do it. Uh, I'm not against the whole industry. What I am against is uh, the way that some people are taught or encouraged, let's say, to invest in the sector. It's a very difficult sector. It's something that... um, the most, for the most part, I'd say everyone that's with me, and it's certainly not me. I'm not the highest ranking of the speaking circuit. Certainly, there's people that are far well, better known than I am. But it's everybody that's on that circuit, are pretty straight shooters, pretty honest about it. You know, these are highly speculative situations. You got to be careful. You, and You don't bet a lot on them. But if they do pay off, they can really pay off in a big way.
0: So again, just to, to summarize here, one of the virtues that I like about energy stock profits is that it provides a more pragmatic way for creating an energy portfolio, as you see it references tiered, and that makes it very uh, simplified, if you will. Now, let me ask you this as well. This is a question I often get asked as well: Is do energy investments hedge you against inflation?
1: Yes, yes, they do. They, one uh, of, you know, again, I mean, repeating myself, but everything depends on the energy, so transportation costs go up energy if uh, food costs go up energy if housing goes up energy if communications go up energy everything's related so you will hedge you for the most part if you look at a gold oil chart or gold silver chart you'll find actually be silver oil <clears throat> or gold oil you see there's a pretty strong correlation so yes you're uh, you're well off in fact. You know, before I started Energy Stock Profits, I would get often asked, especially by my paid membership, you know, well, besides the metals, what do we invest in? You know, besides the, And I would always say energy, uh, because that, to me, is probably the next best place to be besides the uh, the energy, excuse me, besides the uh, the resource sector. And, of course, energy is part of the resource sector, as we know.
0: What type of returns are your clients generating with Energy Stock Profits?
1: Well, we just started in January. Uh, on the top tier, our first pick was up 6.25%. Our second one is up 5.3%. Um, our uranium company is down. One of the uranium companies is off 2%, and the one we added last month is off less than a percent. On the mid-tier, we're up 2% on one and off 5 on the other. The one I talked about in the junior producers or development companies, that one I told you the hedge fund got into is up 13%. We just added one uh, this month. I just got off the phone, as I said. And the uh, the energy one that I talked about that I really like with the vanadium, that's up 8%. So we're up 6%, 5%, 2%, 12%, and 8%. And we're neutral on one and off a couple percent on the other two. Before we close, what keeps up at night that we don't know about? that I haven't done a good enough job educating people about the problems we have with a ill-conceived financial system that's structured in a way that is not going to benefit us in the long term. I don't know if I've articulated it well enough for people to really take it seriously enough. To have a hedge doesn't mean you bet the farm on the precious metals. It just means that you need to have protection if the financial system has further problems going forward. And that is the one thing that probably does keep me up once in a while, is have I done my very best to get to the general public without scaring them in any way, shape, or form, but from a pragmatic, common-sense approach, giving them enough inf- information for them to actually take action? I know a lot of people look at it like infotainment or or scary-tainment, or doom and gloom-tainment, or all this stuff. I'm not doing this for doom. I'm not doing it for gloom. I'm not doing it for anything other than to try to educate people to make their own decision. But the decision requires that they take action. And again, the action doesn't have to be big. I mean, 10% in a hedge position is plenty for most people, which leaves you 90% to go about your life as if, the normalcy bias is correct and things will always be tomorrow like they are today, which I doubt, but um, that doesn't mean I'm right. All you, but you don't need to bet a lot to be protected. So I think that's the main thing that does concern me as far as have I done my mission statement to the best of my ability.
0: Last question. What did I forget to ask?
1: Well, I think the thing is, I've wrapped this up in other interviews, is there's more important things to life than money. Uh, money is important. But, uh, you know, Einstein purportedly said he dreaded the day that where our humanity did not keep up, with technology overshadowed our humanity. In other words, where our technological advances were far in advance of where our humanity or our spirituality as is. And they're not uh commensurate with the same level and i think we're there you know uh it concerns me that um you know most of us and i'm guilty i'm not going to throw the finger out at everybody i'll point it back at myself but you know locked into this little screen walking across the street or whatever we seem to have lost our interaction with our fellow humans because the technology these smartphones have got our attention almost 24 7 so i think it's time to kind of take a deep breath and um Give yourself a break from this electronic world that we're in and look at really what is important because at the end of the day, uh, you know, getting the latest stock quote on your phone might not be as important as really interacting, being present with the people that you're around. So I think I'll leave it with that.
0: Well, David, let me ask you this though. If someone does have a smartphone and they have about 90 minutes of free time on their hand, is there a website that they could look
1: uh, Do the energy stock profits? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, th- thanks for that plug um we did a webinar we spent i forget uh all day uh how much was filmed i'm not sure six hours cut it down and i think it's a one-hour presentation go to comingenergyboom.com it's no the in the front it says comingenergyboom.com it's free it'll give you a great overview of what we do at energy stock profits watch that webinar you may or may not become uh involved but regardless watching that webinar will get you pretty hyped up about the coming energy boom and uh, will probably pique your curiosity on how you get involved in the energy sector one way or the other David, for someone listening
0: that wants to get more information about your work please share the contact details
1: well again the webinar um coming energy boom or if you want to get uh in contact with me directly go through my main website which is the Morgan report. There's a contact button on there, and you can send it, and the staff will forward your message to me.
0: For our audience members, today's interview is not a paid advertisement. We know and we trust David Morgan's work; he has a proven pedigree of success, and we wanted to share the unique value proposition of his services. And last but not least, please visit ProvenandProbable.com, where we deliver mining insights and bullion sales in the form of physical delivery, offshore depositories, and private blockchain distributed ledger technology you may reach us at contact at provenimprobable.com. Mr. Morgan, thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable. The information presented on Proven and Probable